Life Happens with Pimelo Mutine on SAFM, leading the conversation. Afternoon. It is seven minutes after one. This is Life Happens on the Monday edition of Life Happens. Thank you so much for choosing us. We'll be with you until three. And then after that, Wongi Gwala will be with you until six o'clock. So on a Monday, we usually go and have a look at a specific perspective. Now, the Mapumbube Institute has looked at something that I thought was really, really interesting and interrogated a thought. And the thought was understanding South Africa's democratic trajectory. A Comparative Analysis of Post-Colonial Societies. I thought this was absolutely fantastic because I think there has been lots of conversations around, we told you so, people saying, we told you so, we told you that you're going to be like other countries in the continent. We told you that the euphoria that you had as South Africa, as a country that thought you were going to be better than others, was not true. We are now here and look what's happening. That's a conversation that they want to to explore. They they had a webinar just the other day, and it really got really interesting. So what we're going to do, we're going to explore that a little bit. I mean, what, let me just ask you as well, your thoughts on South Africa's democratic trajectory. Do you think we are going to where we thought we would be going? Do you think this... Our democracy is yielding the results that we expected to to see 20 plus years into this democracy. Has it disappointed you? And maybe the question is, why do you think that is? Why do you think that, you know, looking at where we are right now, we have not seen the results that we thought we would see after going into a democracy? What went wrong? So it's it's not necessarily only one dimensional, right? So. Yes, I know a lot of people will say, yes, the ANC. But, you know, dig deeper. Is it is it just the ANC? What systems do you think are in place that have failed the democracy, the idea of democracy? Why is it that this particular democracy, with the kind of constitution that the world celebrates, right, has not given us the results that many of us expected to see? Tole Lwaka Shekatiya is a director of project management at Mapungbube Institute for Strategic Reflection. Thank you so much, Tolela, for making the time to talk to us. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Kolelo. Kolelo, are you there? All right, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what's happened there. But another person that was part of this conversation is Bulelo Ngewane, who is executive director at Open Society Foundation for South Africa, and they were part of this particular study. Bulelo, thank you so much for making the time to talk to us. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. Okay. Good to be with you. Lovely to talk to you. Look, you know, as as Open Society, you are tasked with literally going into this particular study and interrogating this. Do you, were you surprised? Let me first start there. Were you surprised with the outcomes of your study? I wouldn't say I was surprised. I just, as I would say that it, it confirmed what we see as citizens in South Africa and what we are concerned about as various, uh, as indiv- at an individual level. Mm-hmm. We know, as you said in your introduction, that our constitution is renowned all over the world. Mm-hmm. But we also know that that's the, the rights that are enshrined in the, constitu- in the constitution have not necessarily translated into, uh, into, into reducing inequality, into reducing um, you know, structural inequality. And, and, and in fact, even racial inequality is that. Mm. And that a lot of people are still living at the margins of the economy. Mm. 
and that the informal economy, which is now has completely been decimated even further by COVID, is still, whilst it was thriving, it was not necessarily bolstered by the market as such. So a lot of people don't see how their vote translates directly to the fulfillment of basic needs which were promised at the beginning of our democracy. Hmm. I think we've got Kolelo now on a better line. I hope you can hear me now, Kolelo. Are you there? Uh, yes, good afternoon, Kimelo. I'm sorry about that. Mm-hmm. And thank you for inviting us. Well, and good afternoon, Kolelo. It's, it's lovely to have you. Let me ask mm-hmm. you, as, as the people who initiated this look, what inspired the look into understanding whether democracy in South Africa, its trajectory is going somewhere different to where other um, countries have been in, in the continent? Well, I think for us, the point of departure was the idea of a post-colonial society mm. that went through its transition after a liberation struggle. Mm. So that was the point of departure, because also there's this idea that South Africa is so ex- exceptional. Mm-hmm. It's repeated many times. So mm. what we sought to understand was whether we are just like any other post-liberation nation, or is there something different with us as South Africa? So that was that was where we came from. So even the selection of countries, mm. we had to look at countries where there was an active struggle against colonialism. In our case, it was colonialism and also apartheid. Mm. So that was the lens. And uh, in what we found, as uh, stated by Bulela already, is that we are not so exceptional as we'd like to think. It's just that we, we need to maybe look at countries that have been, you know, that have gone through their liberation or have attained their democracy long before ourselves so that we can learn from that. So it's not just about comparing, but also we're trying to draw lessons and hence the selection of the three countries, namely Algeria, India, and also Mozambique. And I was going to go into that in the sense that the reason these particular countries were chosen was also the, the, the length of the struggle, right? It's all the nature of the struggle. Yes, it was the nature of the struggle because we needed to compare, you know, we needed to make uh, comparisons. First, you know, we have to make sure that we find countries that are sort of like similar mm. and then it could be in, in, in the sense of who the colonizer was. Mm. So, We'd look at countries that, uh, you know, uh, for example, even though we did not succeed in the in terms of the continent, Africa, mm. we in would have to look at an anglophone country, but also another layer would be proximity, and uh, so those are the kinds of things that we're looking at. So Mozambique represented Africa and and also Algeria to a certain extent, mm-hmm. but we also selected countries that have gone through military action. Mm-hmm. So that we can understand, because as we know, ours was not a full-blown war Mm. that we experienced uh, before our transition. So we wanted to see if maybe there's something that set us apart. Was it because there was a lack of struggle that was through the barrel of the time, as others would say? Let, let me just take a few voice notes, and, and I think people want to engage with, with and interrogate what it is that we're discussing here before we continue our conversation. And the number to dial, by the way, if you want to call in is 0891-104-207, and you can send us those voice notes on 0614-104-107. 
Hello, good day. Well, thank you for a great show. Uh, my personal belief is uh, it's the culture of friendship. We had struggle stalwarts that did so much good for the country and then they rose into a position they were not fully trained in. So you got to a position and they said, no, we'll hire you, we'll hire people to work below you that had the skill set. But then a degree of uh, corruption set in where one person did wrong, it was just one, and then it was overlooked by another party. It just happens they all did time together, the political struggle stalwarts, and it one knock-on effect affected the next, and that's how... Hi, um, I'm just uh, listening to what you're saying, and, and I feel like we haven't actually gone anywhere because uh, we find that people today are still, I mean, charged based on the on the 1964 Act of 1964. We find people being charged on the 1937, 1952 Act. Now, how how it is that we 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 got freedom and then we changed, but we forgot to change the one aspect which oppressed us most, which was the law. We forgot the law. We were still charged on the uh, apartheid laws. Thank you. Uh, Pimelo, all what I can say about uh, this whole 20 some odd years, which means this democracy was only for them and their families. It was the whole thing from the start was a liar. The whole thing from the start was a, a, a total lies. There was no democracy of some sort here. Only them and their families, these politicians and their kids. That's the truth, nothing else. Thank you so much for, for staying with us, Bulelwa, as well as Tolelwa as well. And I'm going to start with you, Bulelwa, just listening to those voice notes. They reiterate exactly what you were saying, that the sentiment is one of just people are despondent. People don't feel like this democracy has meant anything or, or you know, has already has changed their lives. When you hear that um, and you hear the sentiments that are coming through, what do you make of it? Uh, of course, you've done the study and this is what, what came through. But when you hear that, what, what do you make of that? Yeah, um, exactly what the study is saying is that um, there is a sense of loss of hope uh, for a lot of South Africans because they're worried that things are never going to change. We, uh, the, the decades of, uh, of, of state corruption has not worked, uh, wait, uh, has not helped either. And also a, a very, very obvious thing is that we now have a weakened state. There's always a saying that it's not the quantity of your leadership, it's the quality of your leadership. So at the beginning, in 1994, we had quality leadership that really worked hard. Of course, they made mistakes in the assumptions that they made. And those mistakes, uh, are, are some of them are, are, are the reason why things have been changed. Moving from a, an upper take system to a what are so-called the rainbow nation, where everybody else would be able to get what they deserve. And then keeping up with the rate of growth in terms of population growth, the move to cities and, and immigration to cities, and also just immigration from outside the country into the country. All of those things affect the ability of the government to make sure that we have effective, effective and equitable 
um, you know, management of resources and dissemination of resources. Hmm. And that doesn't even before you add our own problems that we've created ourselves, such hmm. as corruption. Hmm. Um, so you, you then understand that out of that comes several destabilizing forces for the country, mm-hmm. such, as, such as, for example, private sector corruption, mm-hmm. gender inequality, mm-hmm. political intolerance, racial inter- tensions, xenophobia, for a, a slow pace of land and agrarian reform. All of those issues are not issues that are easy to deal with. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I would say to South Africans, it's not as if nothing else good has happened. Mm-hmm. And so we kind of need to balance what we see as the darkness, I would put it that way, and understand that on the other hand, there are opportunities and there's light. All we need to do is really be co- co- cohesively uh, collaborative in approaching the problem. Let's take a quick break as we will take more of your calls as well as your SMSs as well as your WhatsApp. I see them coming through. I will take those calls on 891 after this. Pimelo Mutine on SAFM. Well, thank you so much for staying with us. We are discussing uh, a study that was done by the Mapumbuwe Institute for Strategic Reflection in partnership with Open Society Foundation for South Africa. And uh, really, they're looking at understanding South Africa's democratic trajectory, a comparative analysis of post-colonial societies. And Paula, let me bring you back into this conversation in saying what is the significance of isolating countries, for instance, that specifically had a struggle? What significance was that struggle in its impact on how we evolved? Okay, that's a very good question, Tinello. And what we found is that there is actually a, a significant impact of the liberation struggle mm. because you'd find that, as I've mentioned, with Algeria, and uh, Mozambique, for example, because they went through, a, you know, active military intervention, mm. you find that in the post-colonial moment, mm. then you've got a strong influence of the army on the ruling party, mm. which is something that we do not have. You look at Algeria and some of the countries that went through that, you have generals that mm. are actually in control of the state. Mm-hmm. And uh, in terms of corruption, I mean, we find that it happens across the spectrum. Mm-hmm. But what was also interesting was this idea of a colonial hangover. Mm-hmm. And this was, uh, you know, reflected in many ways by all the different countries, where in the colonizer, the colonizer's institutions, ideas, and laws that now respond to the question that was, uh, that we received through the voice note about these apartheid laws. Mm. It's something that happens across the spectrum, where in institutions still remain. So mm-hmm. there is this colonial hangover that persists Mm. beyond the transition itself. However, I mean, like, I'd like to agree with Mbulela that we must not throw away everything or the baby with the, you know, with the dirty water. And this is something that um, Justice Alvin Sex also argued for, that he actually, his position position as a respondent to that webinar was that we are actually exceptional. And he says we are exceptional because of our constitution, that allows for Chapter 9 institutions, such as the Public Protector, the Auditor General, but also we have free and fair regular elections. But then others would say, is that enough? When we have a, a public service that's not professional, there's corruption, and also citizenry, we don't see no real active citizenry, which 
And all of those are ingredients for a democracy, or at least a democracy within the framework that is it's come to be understood. Bulelo, you, you talked a little bit, and which is yes. what Bulelo is talking about, that um, you know we need to remember that we are exceptional, that we are worthy, and so on. But th- there's yes. also that element that Bulelo is talking about, that identity complex. If one has been under colonialism for as long as we, these countries that we're mentioning, had been under, there is the sense of self-worth that is diminished. And undermined, mm. right? And that that un, when I when I look at what you've put together, undermines also sense of pride in one's nation and in delivery and in also how you treat them, and also affects, I suppose, the quality of leadership that one believes that a people deserve. Mm. Yes, um, that's a very good point. Indeed, there is the sense of that. Also, remember that under apartheid, mm-hmm. uh, South Africans were so isolated mm-hmm. from even our own neighbors mm-hmm. that it was very difficult for South Africans to understand that beyond South Africa, there's a whole other world out mm-hmm. there that is, in fact, quite honestly, actively uh, supporting our own freedom mm-hmm. inter- internally within the country. Mm-hmm. So there is a sense of... Um, that there's a need for a continued uh, democracy campaign where people understand what does democracy mean? What does losing it mean? Mm-hmm. It's not only linked to a vote, and it doesn't come out once every four years. It's, it's a democratic culture that we need to progressively build, especially with young people, mm-hmm. so that people, uh, young people understand when they are angry and they want their voices heard that there are various ways of making sure that those voices are heard. It's not just through anger only as a, as a powerful mm-hmm. emotion that we should be using. Mm-hmm. We, know, we must understand that as much as the Constitution is, we keep talking about it as if it's a problem, it actually is a very, very vibrant instrument to, for us to use going forward. It's, it's a progressive Constitution. We've got a vibrant civil society. We've got independent media. We've got active citizenry. So for me, all of those are almost kind of uh, elements that we could pull together and really see a a, a brighter future for for the next generation. We can't just um, look at what has happened in the past without without understanding that every democracy has to go through phases. Mm -hmm. In 2024, 2022, or 2024, sorry, when we turn 30 as this democracy, it just means we're 30 years old. So all the problems that we're facing now are actually active problems of all democracies Mm -hmm. that they have to go through. We just need to get to an age of maturity where we actually put in place and we ensure that all those pillars that show up our democracy don't fall. The fact that we have an independent judiciary is a very strong pillar mm-hmm. that we really need to celebrate as we go for the South Africans. <laughs> I like that. Uh, yeah, if we were, if we were a, a, a person, I would say, if we're going through the teenage years of lack of identity, mm-hmm. you know, trying to figure out who we are, at the same time facing all these challenges and having to make choices, but we are having to mature and we must as mature as a South African democracy within the African continent. Let me, so that has a very clear identity of itself. Interesting. I'll come to that point after the headlines, but let me take a call from Peter there, who's calling us from Paul. Hi, Peter. Thanks for your patience. 
Hi, good afternoon to you and your guests. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think the, the root cause of the problems that we face in our country today have more to do with education as opposed to, well, that have led to, you know, somewhat of a failed democracy because, um, you know, it's, and it's just a theory and it might be completely off, but it's almost as if the governing party, you know, hasn't prioritized education so that it could, can, can stay in power, you know, so that it can keep on getting votes based on food hampers and handouts and things, um, you know, and, you know, if, if we don't educate people here, um, or adequately educate people here, we're going to continue this cycle of not, um, you know, not creating people who are employable almost because, um, you know, everything seems to be falling apart and, and we don't know, um, you know, we can talk about it as, as uh, you know, the, dem- you know, democracy and, you know, has it worked, hasn't it, hasn't it worked, but ultimately we've, we've got large amounts of people who aren't getting an adequate education and I, I can't see how we, how we progress as a nation or as a society without, you know, educating people properly. You know, also, like, if people have a proper education, do you really think they will keep on voting for the corrupt individuals who... Um, who've got us into this mess, you know, so I, I don't know. It's, uh, we, we'll yeah, we'll mull on that. Well, let's let's mull on that, Peter. Thank you so much for your call, Peter. They're calling us from Paul. We'll come back with my guest. Let me just go quickly to Utzile Saku for the latest in headlines at one thirty. You're listening to Pimelo Mutine on SAFM. Thanks for your patience. I'll come back with that um, response from Kolelwa. Uh, the, the the call that call came in from Peter and Paul, saying, you know, we can have this conversation, but there is something to be said about the quality of education. Your response to that? Where does education fit into all of this? Mm-hmm. Uh, thank you, Pamela, and thank you to the caller for that um, uh, question. Yes, education is important, but also I don't think it's only about the quality of education. There's also the issue of inequality in South Africa where there's unequal access to education, which then you know brings in another uh, complexity. And yet, when you look at, I mean, if you were to look at the case study of India, where in education is, you know, something that is quite a priority with the citizenry that's, uh, you know, fairly highly educated, you still see that there's like uh, populist movements that have risen with very narrow uh, mm. nationalistic ideals, mm. uh, and that is demonstrated with the, you know, current ruling party, mm. where in things have changed. So. I don't think education alone is what needs to be addressed here. Because even with that, if our education system, you know, we've increased uh, access to a certain extent. But you found that, uh, especially with these recent uh, youthful movements of, like, uh, decolonizing Mm. education, you find that young people are also starting to question, Mm -hmm. you know, these institutions and and also the the type of uh, education that they are acquiring, whether it is for purpose. And that also brings us to even how we view democracy. Mm. You know, what lenses are we using in understanding 
what it means to be within a democratic dispensation. You so, know, is it something that we, we depend on? Do we depend on our colonizer yeah. to define what the meaning of democracy is? Mm-hmm. And I think it's very interesting, you know, what is coming out of youthful movements in that regard, where all these things are being questioned. Mm. Let, let me ask you, Bulelo, you know, one mm. would also look at education in this country is actually well-funded. You know, it's not like many other sectors. Actually, education in this country is well-funded. And yet this keeps coming up, that the quality does not match up to the investment that is in in actual terms, in real terms, financial terms. Where's the missing link? Uh, Yeah, you're right. Education, I mean, if you look at the CSI spend in South Africa, really quite, I would say, if I'm not mistaken, close to 90% Mm. of it goes towards education. Mm. It is, of course, the quality of education. Mm-hmm. And secondly, once they educate someone, that person needs to be employed. Mm-hmm. How many unemployed graduates do you know out there? So it's, so it's, not, it's, just, it's not just the quality of education. It's that the education is, is in a value chain for someone to get themselves out of poverty. And all those other elements need to be there. Then you need to be able to find a job. You need to be able to progress within that job. You need, to, you know, it's, it's, it's the basis of getting yourself out of poverty. So every time I attend the graduation, I always get my heart gets broken mm. when I hear people, they, they, you know, they're years there because mm. they think that this child has gone through so much just to get that, that certificate. And six, eight months later, a year later, mm. that child is working as a, as a, on a constant mm. because they can't find appropriate job or they haven't been able to find a job at all. So we can talk about education. It's not the only thing. I mean, we, from our position of the open society, we really yearn and actually working actively towards a just and equitable and inclusive South Africa where the rights that are enshrined in our constitution are protected and realized. And we use our, our assets and resources to empower people to actively participate in the democratic mm. process. Mm. To our, to everything that we do, yeah. to our grand making and convening and all of that. Yeah. You, you know, one sector of this, you make a very, very important point because I, I often find that where we, we could do better as society is active citizenry, citizenry, where you know, when you look at education, let's just use education as an example, and there are many others. Um, in communities where the community is invested in being part of the education system, it works with the same curriculum, right? But mm. but but you have this the support where the children come out better, where people are invested in being part of the uh, the PTA, where people are invested in building their school themselves, where people are invested in being a community that functions and that has a say, that knows who their local leader is. Things somehow move in a better trajectory where democracy is realized in a much more fruitful manner. And that's where people become part of, you know, a democracy that functions. In, me- in instances where it's not, we often react where people mm. then burn the library, burn the, the, the clinic. How do we change that? How do we change that learned, as you said, warlike behavior, where we need mm-hmm. to understand we too are part of making things work. We too are part of the solution, not 
looking out for the solution to come in, for the solution to come in? You know what, uh, Pinedo, you said something about a sense of self-worth. Mm. And I think it all belongs there. And this is very linked to our history. Because we went through a very violent process, mm-hmm. you know, uh, which was, uh, other people would say, even though it was not a full-scale war, but it was a, a war, nonetheless, a different kind of war that left psychological scars. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, others would even name it a psychological warfare. Mm. And those scars have not been addressed. So we've got uh, uh, citizens who are walking around with these gunshot wounds with just a band-aid, Young people would say that Band-Aid is a constitution or the Band-Aid is a Codessa moment mm. and so on. That made us believe that we had healed. And that leaves us with this sense of, 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 of no self-worth or lack of um, being active or taking charge of our own lives. That's why in the, in the space of education, I mean, a lot of our people, you know, they're unable to participate, for example, in SCBs. Mm. Or they cannot even, you know, contribute to the schools, and that is because of the historical scar of inequality mm. that remains with us, that makes us this hopeless nation that is unable to even resolve their own struggles. So I think there's a lot of work that needs to be done because that did not, that moment did not end at Cordesa, mm. and it certainly did not end with the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. That's why we're mm. seeing these implosions with young people. There's always these ruptures mm. that keep coming up and they get neutralized, but they keep coming up. Mm. If you pay attention to those ruptures, you would find that there is a scar or a wound, you know, a sense of woundedness that is coming across. And then you wonder why is it young people that are so wounded when, you know, for example, they are born free. Yeah. But then the, you look at other societies in Latin America, there's those who would argue that this thing, this scar can be inherited. Mm. Others would make mm. a case that it, it becomes part of our DNA. So there's a lot of healing that needs to be done. There needs to be a moment of reckoning where we realize that the struggles did not end mm. with the Constitution. It's continuation, and there's new generations that need to continue to take forward that process of healing. And I know at some point we thought the struggle was over, mm. but now I think what we need to realize is that it's not over. And in, in my contribution to that webinar was that can we even call ourselves a post-colonial society mm. when you've got calls for decolonization? Mm. For me, it mm. shows that coloniality is still very much with us. Let's take a quick break. Let's take a quick break. I do see you, Haley. I see you, Romeo. I see you, Sipa. I'll be back with you after this. At SFM Radio and at Pimelo Mutile on Twitter. All right, let's take those calls. I do see you, Haley. Thank you so much for your patience. Good afternoon, Haley. Thank you, Pamela. I much appreciate Sure, Look, welcome. Uh, I feel very sad when South Africa is sinking into the ocean while we are looking at everyone. Huh? Mm-hmm. This is one of the African economic powerhouses, the great nation. At the moment, what I'm requesting, all the politicians in South Africa, when they sit in the parliament, please, they must sit down on the floor and they must hold their head with two hands and they must think very carefully how they are ruling this country. What I see, there is a problem currently, it's much problem due to the political administration. It's not due to the people or the public or it's not due to the migrant. What I see, Pamela, let me tell you, every election comes, 
There is no one single refugee mayor, councillor, minister, or anyone in the parliament. Can you get in South Africa no single refugee member of the parliament or a minister in the position? Why do they use excuse of these African foreigners? Every election come, the politicians become the tool of the, you know, they're making xenophobia and the hatred declaring in South Africa. And additionally, South Africa was looted by their own politicians, but not by the foreigners. What we need to think about, the economy is dying, people are starving, everything is working wrong. Now the black and the white issue, so we need to come together, white and the black. And come to the land issue, let's bring all the white people and the black people, they must sit down on a table and they discuss about the land issue. And they must resolve for the coming generation in this world, in this country, in Africa. What are we going to do? In 26 years, in my stay, in one of the early arrival migrants who live in this country, I'm a part of this country, and I love this country. I didn't want South Africa to collapse. I didn't want to know. We enjoy and we live in South Africa. So that is why who made a mistake in South Africa? Who is responsible in South Africa? Who are you going to blame for what is happening every time? So who loot the country? Those people, they loot the country. But let me tell you, if you investigate as a journalist, investigating officer, if anyone you're listening what I'm saying, go to next to Cuba uh, and to the Jamaica. There is an island called Cayman Island. The Cayman Island is all African politicians. They loot the money from each and every African country, including, let me tell you, from Ethiopia. Fourteen companies was organized by the previous government. They loot that country. And I don't know how many politicians they loot South Africa and the many other African countries. Our money is in overseas. But our resource is we have the great natural resource, gold and the diamond. We become the slave of the Chinese, Americans, and the Europeans. How do we can govern and administrate our Africa and our continent and our country? How do we can make a peace and how do we can bring, how do we can control our resources? And that is lack of the leadership. The leaders really, they must come down together and let's solve together the issue. And the migrant is not a problem for this country. It's migrant is international. Every country in the world, everywhere you find the migrant, over over 500 million population around the world is a migrant. Let me so, go, Haili. Let me go. We hear you. There is a lot to be unpacked there, and many other people waiting to to respond to that. Bulala, you you spoke about this, uh, and maybe t- touching on what he's just said, Haley, but that. South Africa needs to see itself within the African context. What do you mean by that? Well, yes. Can you hear me? Yes, now we can. Okay. I think we need to really understand that we are part of the African continent Mm. and that our neighbors are are good for us as much as we are good for them. It's not an extractive relationship where we only, only take. They actually bring as uh, the last speaker was saying, they actually bring uh, resources that we can need, that we need and we can use as South Africans, such as, for example, skills in terms of and competences that we might not have in terms of our own, uh, you know, in, 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 in terms of our own environment. But also, it doesn't help. Xenophobia is not an answer, or xenophobic eruptions, or violent uh, xenophobic eruptions are not an answer for the country at all. We need to figure out how we can 
be able to deal with immigrant issues in such a way that it is mutually beneficial. Of course, you would understand if the resources of the country are already very stressed and the people at the margins still not taken care of, it's very difficult to build a very collegial or collaborative relationship with someone else coming from another country when you feel your own country is not looking after you. Mm. Having said that, the solution is conversation. We can, this democracy came through dialogue. Mm. As, 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 as Colonel was saying, it came through dialogue, not through military power. Mm. We can go back to the table and have constructive dialogue and figure out what we need to do before things get worse. Mm. If there's one thing that we know as South Africans is as worse as or bad as things are at the moment, and from our, in terms of our own perception, they can still get worse. Mm. That we know. Let me so quick... the question is, what do we do now? That, that is the question. That is the qu- Roger, you're calling from Grahamstown. Thanks for calling. Hi. Yeah. Um, hi. I'd just like to make the point about um, the wonderful job that uh, missionary... Um, educators did and I think we've lost that history um, I mean they uh, places like Lovedale Hilltown uh, Clarkbury you know they they, um, they educated our leaders like Nelson Mandela and they did a very good job and they they brought in the the ethics of um, of Christianity they Really, um, and it, it, the great pity is that um, the nationalist government that came into power in 1948 um, sort of uh, closed these a lot of these institutions. And uh, I think there should be an effort to work, you know, to to get institutions like that back. How would uh, you see them? How would you see them, you know, living today? How in what form would they be back, Roger? Well, they would be have Christian values, really. That's that's uh, basically what uh, Nelson Mandela had, and he he got those Christian values through Clarkbury and through um, was he at Lovedale or? Yeah, but he also had other African values that didn't necessarily. Yes, he did, but uh, they the were Christian, very broad-minded. Um, you know, he's he's educators. If you read his book, you know, um, Long Walk you'll see that his, his educators were very broad-minded, actually. And um, they were doing a wonderful job. I mean, um, in fact, you know, I think there should be, you know, people have been talking about scars and that. I think those were mainly caused by the Bantu education, um, not by um, the colonial people. Um, you know, the, 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 the British and... Scottish, I mean, uh, education, because, you know, people don't seem to have gratitude for, for what they affected. My, my wife's great-great-grandfather, he was the one who put um, who put closer uh, into writing. Uh, you know, I think they should be grateful to him for that. He's, he's John Benny. Um, and uh, I think, you know, Lovedale did a wonderful job, and uh, Hilltown did too, and... <laughs> Why do, you, why do you think why do you think people are not grateful, Roger? Why, why do you assume? Well, I, I don't think they actually know about it. I think they should be educated. They don't. Into this, they don't know uh, about those schools. You know, people fact- just don't know. Uh, but uh, they, these people did a wonderful job, and um, 
you know, it the, can't the, be true if you're saying that so many people... The Bantu education tried to stop it, but um, in actual fact, I mean, I, I taught at uh, St. John's College in Tarta. Let's have a conversation, Roger. Let, let's, let's not have it being one way. No, well, I've let it too, and, and uh, the syllabus is Roger, there. Roger. Uh, there's wrong information that uh, the Bantu education sort of messed up all the syllabus. Mm. The math syllabus was... Uh, exactly Roger. Hello. Let's have a two-way conversation. What I want to ask you is, yes. if, if it is true that people were educated and were came out wonderful, like Nelson Mandela, as you're referring to, it, yes. it obviously means that people are aware of the schools. So it's not that they don't know of the schools. Um, well, they, they, don't, they don't seem to acknowledge it. Yes, but the question you know, then they, is they, why? They, they, they have, people, why don't they, people, people acknowledge talk it? talk about it and say how, how grateful we are. Yes, but what I'm yeah. saying to you is, why do you think people don't want to celebrate the schools in the manner that you want them to celebrate it? So they know about the schools. Mm-hmm. In your mind, why yeah, do you that, think that, they are shunning that? Why do you think that question. is? Why, why don't they? Because, um, I mean, they know about people like Governor Becky And you and haven't like asked that. yourself why that is? You haven't, you haven't seen the young people revolting and you haven't seen what people are saying? I have it. It's it's a sort of a, well, um, you know, we've been twenty. How many is it? Uh, mm-hmm. Twenty ninety-four to. Mm-hmm. We've been sixteen years now. Uh, Twenty-six years. Sorry, mm-hmm. twenty-six years with the um, uh, ANC government, and uh, I, I don't know why they haven't um, sort of followed the example of of these church schools rather than. You know, uh, listen, listen to um, uh, Satu and people like that. I mean, uh, you know, th- I think uh, the, you can see that uh, the effect of all, you know, Satu are not uh, have not promoted um, uh, the, the sort of education that uh, that uh, went on in the church schools. Thanks, Roger. And, uh, uh, yeah. Thanks, Roger. Yeah. I mean, one yeah. of you is 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 ooing and. <laughs> One of you you is just sitting, moving side by side on the chair. I'll give you both an opportunity to vocalize uh, what it is that you're feeling. Go ahead. Okay. It's Mulelo here. Um, I'm a product of one of the schools. I went to St. Patrick's Mm. and I was taught by the nuns from England. Mm -hmm. And let me tell you, I wouldn't send my kids to those schools. Mm. Because it seems as if the, the model was you, 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 you break down the black child and rebuild them in the image of what you think they should be. And that is very simple. It, you know, the, the quality of education aside, it's the mental stress as well as the, as the lack of confidence in your blackness as a person, which seems to be, which was kind of like literally speaking out of us doesn't really warrant the, the education that we got. That's my position, my personal position. Mm-hmm. Okay. Let's go quickly to uh, Sipo, who's calling us from um, Bumalanga. Sipo, you've been so patient. Good afternoon. Uh, uh, thank you so much, to me. Mm-hmm. Yes, Tumi, you know our problem mm-hmm. is in South Africa, in Africa, actually, not South Africa, yes. is the approach that we take when it comes to leadership. Mm-hmm. You see... We as South African or African, we put too much emphasis on Ubuntu. And we are in a democracy. American, for example, 
they advocate the individual hero. On the other hand, the European emphasize on rational and scientific thinking. This thing of Ubuntu, it stopped even, I can't even tell the other person that, no, what you're doing is wrong. You can't be corrupt. You can't expose people because you must respect their dignity according to Ubuntu. You see, if we can change from Ubuntu, because this Ubuntu really is taking us backward. We have democracy, but some of the things that apply in, democ- in democratic countries, like your American, you know, your, your Britain and others, we don't, we don't do them yet. For example, uh, to me, I have been hate either you or other presenters from other radio stations saying when we talk about issue of foreigners, for example, spaza shops that are all over South Africa, you always say, no, you must learn from these foreigners. You must say, but I ask myself, what can we learn from these people? But no one has said we must learn from the African just because they are white people, South African white people, you know, we generalize that white people are our enemies. So they have never, they always tell us we must learn from these people. But when you look at where these people come from, from their country, their countries are not developed. When you say and these people, are them, you talking about Africans? Yeah, the African. foreign who are illegal in particular. I'm not talking about people that have come here, they got papers correctly, they are here, everything. It's, uh, it's in order. I'm talking about people that have come in here. Some of them, you can even think that... And when you speak they... about Africans people, you don't say these people. <laughs> okay. These people, African people. Let me say so. Be respectful, so, Sipo. But... Whatever, whatever it is that you have to say, all I'm trying to show you is that yeah. in the manner in which you are going to address people, you've got to have yeah. a slight... That is what I'm saying. Be, is that be conscious. Be be yeah, it's what I was saying. Like you hear now what you you no, you fighting. No, I am actually, and I and I'm going to stand yeah. by that because yeah. I'm not going to allow you to call a specific kind of people these people and yet have but elevate you. only another kind of people and then tell no, them that, that is me. not. It, it's okay. Now is that no, it, it's okay if this is your way of reflecting me being uh, having Ubuntu. I'll take that actually, and I'll take the criticism with absolute pleasure. Yeah, but maybe it's just a connotation. There's nothing wrong by calling people these. Okay. Then use it all around. Then use it all around, if that's how you feel. Come again? Then use it with everybody, if that's how you feel. Okay. okay. So, until we resolve the issue of leadership, Mm -hmm. that, like, for example, I'm disappointed at President Mm Zamapa. I was thinking that he's going to lead. But it's not leading. Mm -hmm. It's depending on the collective. Mm-hmm. And when you read the book that was written by uh, Comrade Nelson Mandela at uh, the presidential year uh, in his last years of government, when he talk about the, the principle of collective leadership, what is happening, is, you can see that it's not what he understood as a seaman, a, a, a political activist of the ANC. But Cyril is hiding... Okay, so obviously that uh, line has failed us. Let, okay. Let's wrap it up. Let's wrap it up. You've heard the comments coming through. Mm-hmm. You're more than welcome to respond. Well, I think uh, I'd like to address two things. You know, one of, uh, of which is uh, the issue of dialogue. Because mm. I'm hearing lots of sentiment around uh, history. Mm. You know, the, the, the Christian schools were like this and that. Historically, there's this idea of 
Ubuntu and whether we accept um, uh, individuals from other African countries and so on. And I think this has also to do with our, um, we, we don't have a common understanding of our history and where we come from. For example, I mean, I agree with, I absolutely agree with Mulelwa about her sentiments on these Christian schools. So others in our society believe that those ideals were progressive and that demonstrates how we differ so much. And through dialogue, we can find ways to find each other. Even how the notion of Ubuntu has been so bastardized mm. also has to do with the lack of dialogue, wherein Ubuntu is mobilized for certain you know, convenient positions. And uh, when you really have to practice Ubuntu, you find that people are, sh- are shying away from that. Mm. And uh, again, that is also entangled with our history and also our deep history before the advent of colonialism. And also the struggle, of the pan-Africanist struggle, that was, you know, uh, conceptualized at the establishment of the Organization for African Union and how we view ourselves in terms of the colonial borders and so on. We need to have this honest conversation, and there should be no elephants in the room mm. about where we come from, the types of struggles, because there's also dominant narratives of liberators and who was liberated and this idea of citizens that are just sitting around waiting to be liberated from exile. At the, heart of, at the heart of this matter is the issue of inequality, and that needs to be addressed in a pointed man- manner. We cannot be skating around it. There's so much inequality in this country. It's along racial lines. It's along a gender line. And also in terms of who's an insider and who's an outsider. So when we fight and we have these eruptions, we find that the most vulnerable groups, case in point being women or you know, people from other African countries become the, you know, the target of those ruptures without dealing with the actual issue, which is the persistent inequality. We are the most unequal country in the world. We cannot get even more unequal than we are, or else we are heading for trouble. We're going to have to leave at that tipping point right now. Thank you so much. We're going to have to leave it there. We've just suddenly run out of time. Kolelwa Kashe Katia is a director, project management at Mapumbuwe Institute for Strategic Reflection, as well as Bulelwa Ngewana, who is executive director at Open Society Foundation for South Africa. They are the people that put this report together. We will um, tag them. We will also give you the link to the actual report, and the discussion was really about understanding South Africa's democratic trajectory, a comparative analysis of post-colonial societies. I also just want to acknowledge all the, the comments that were coming through from yourselves, because as, as one of my guests was saying, it's only dialogue that's going to get us to the next point. We're not always going to agree, but dialogue will assist us to learn from one another. So I really do appreciate that. Two o'clock, let me go to Utsile Saku for the latest in SABC News.